Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So we are going to continue our series here today that started with belief systems and started with us knowing four fundamental truths that we have built upon the foundation of our identity in Christ. Number one was that you are known by God. Number two is that you are loved by God. Number three, you have been called by God. And number four, you have been equipped by God. And we read this passage in Ephesians chapter four, and we're going to start there again today, verses one through six. Ephesians four, one through six. Paul says to the church of Ephesus, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. When we looked at this passage, we highlighted that Paul says, I want you to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling. We looked at this word calling, and it's the Greek word klesis, which is an invitation of divine nature. If we just really simplify this for a moment, Paul is saying that you have been invited into a calling, into an identity But it is not just a calling that is a a nice one because it means you're going to do good things. It's a call of a divine nature, which means that it's not just from the divine being God, but it is into a place of walking in a divine nature, in a new nature that is only possible through what Jesus did on the cross. Now, the thing that we have to just stop at before we move even a second further here today is for each one of us to know and understand that you have been called. There is no exceptions to this. And if you have any questions about this, go back to last week's message. You have been called by God. Each one of us, we're going to read some scripture here today. We're actually going to read a lot of scripture today. So hang with me. But so many times what Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that this calling is for all. To each has been given this calling. To every one of us, and no one is exempt. You have been called by God into a divine calling. Verse 7 then goes on to say that we are called and we are gifted with a specific grace that has been given to each one of us. How do we walk into the calling that God has for us? We start by understanding that Jesus has given us grace to walk in the fullness of what he's called us to do. This is probably point number two here today, just in the recap, which is that yes, you are called, but in order to fulfill that call, it's only going to be done through the grace of Jesus. It's only going to be done because he has apportioned, he has given to us the grace that we need to be and to do what we can never be and do on our own. It's through Jesus. And it's really an amazing thing when we look at what Jesus did, because I just want to take a moment here to just brag on Jesus a little bit. Is that okay? See, this grace that we speak about was given to us through the Savior that, who after giving his own life, after being betrayed and beaten and crucified, did not stop at just paying the price for our sins. 
as if that was like a small thing. He didn't stop there. He paid the price that we could never pay. But in going to the cross, in his death and his resurrection, he accomplished something beautiful by giving us eternal life. That when we leave this world, that we would know that we are not going into the unknown, but we are going into the arms of a loving Savior. He restored us back to a place of righteousness that we could never deserve on our own. And as if this were not enough, Christ, when he died, it says that he descended into the depths. He went into hell. He had an appointment with Satan that Satan didn't have the opportunity to turn down. And he violently took back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He violently took back the authority that had been forfeited by Adam and Eve in the garden. And he said, this is now mine once again, and I'm going to give it to my body, to the church, to the believers, to those who would call upon my name, that they would now walk in the authority of the kingdom. See, what Jesus did, and and sometimes we only look at this in segments, yes, he died for our sins, the best gift that could ever be given. Yes, he gave us the ability to walk in eternal life, the most beautiful gift ever given, but he didn't stop there because he took back what the enemy had deceived man into giving up. He gave us the ability to walk back in this new identity. It's so much more than just thinking about eternity, although we need to do that. It's recognizing that there's a gift that has been given to us also here on earth. We often talk about the love that Jesus has for us, but I don't know that we always recognize the great lengths that Jesus went to so that we would not just find hope for eternity, but hope in the present. When Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors, I believe at least in large part this is what he's talking about. You see, to know that we have victory over death is a pretty big victory, right? That is, that's, that's to be a conqueror. To say that I have overcome death through Jesus, that's conquering. So what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? It means that not only do we have victory over death through Jesus, but while we are here living on this earth in our day-to-day lives, no matter what comes against us, that we walk in the authority that Jesus died to give us. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Once again, this word klesis is an invitation of a divine nature. But Paul never says that this calling starts after we leave this earth. There are multiple times where he speaks to what the fulfillment will be at the end of this age, where we will stand before Jesus and everything will be in its perfection. But he doesn't say that we have to wait until that point to enter into our calling. He says that it starts now because we are now in Christ. It starts now because of what Jesus has already done for us. And we have to understand what is possible for us right now, today, in 2023. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Paul says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, don't wait 
to put on the new self. The new self, the new identity in Christ is available for you now, today. It doesn't mean that you have to go through the process of earning it. It means that you don't have to go through the checklist of doing everything perfectly and then you walk into the new life. He says, put on the new life, take off what is old, get rid of the past and step into the new identity that I've given to you. This is by grace and grace alone. This is why, as we're going to read just here shortly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that Paul can tell us to earnestly desire, earnestly desire what Jesus has made possible for us. I wanted to just take a moment here today and to look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, the book of Ephesians, as you know, my favorite book. But there are two specific prayers that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. And I often reference these because they're they're prayers that Paul prays that we have the ability to pray ourselves. That we can take these prayers and that we can personalize them for ourselves and also for our loved ones and even for those that don't yet know Jesus. And I want to look briefly at Ephesians chapter 3 today. We're not going to read through the whole prayer, but I want to encourage you to do so on your own. But there are a couple points that I wanted to look at here in Ephesians chapter 3. So verse 16, Paul prays that the church would know that according to the riches of Jesus' glory, that he would grant to them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. To be strengthened with power. I want you to put a pin in that. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled. Now just listen to this. To be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't fully know what that means, but it's awesome. To be filled with with the fullness of God. And verse 20, according to the power that is at work within us, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul references the power that is meant to be present in the life of a believer. You see, when we pray this prayer and we recognize what Paul is saying, we have to understand that the Spirit of God, when He is present, it is always accompanied with power. That where the Holy Spirit is present, there will be power as a manifestation of who He is and how He operates in our lives. See, Paul uses this power many times, and it's the Greek word dunamis, and we're going to get into that in a second. But before we do that, I just think it would be good for us to have a quick, brief overview of the Holy Spirit. No matter whether we've been saved our entire lives or just for a few weeks, I think it's important that we recognize who the Holy Spirit is. So the first thing that we have to see when we look at the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. That's a very simple part of it. But we also have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is no less God than God the Father and God the Son being Jesus. That when we talk about the triune God, God in three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit, that each one of them walk equally in the divine nature of being God. So we have to know that the Holy Spirit is not just a a spirit. He's not just an idea. He's not an essence. He's not a feeling. It's not just a presence. But the Holy Spirit is an individual. This is why we call him the person of the Holy Spirit. 
This is why sometimes you'll hear us refer to the Holy Spirit as just Holy Spirit, because he is a unique individual. The other thing I want us to see about the Holy Spirit, and like I said, this is just a brief overview. We could spend many weeks speaking about this, and at some point we will have a series fully devoted to the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit has always been. The Holy Spirit didn't just show up on the day of Pentecost. He didn't just come in the book of Acts and fall upon those waiting in the upper room, but that he has always been because he is God. We first read about him in the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit has always been in existence. The power of the Holy Spirit has always been in existence in the moment of creation and and far before that, because the Holy Spirit is God. The first mention we see of the Holy Spirit outside of Genesis is found in the book of Exodus, and we read the story about God speaking to Moses about this man named Bezalel. That he says the Holy Spirit, I'm filling him with the Holy Spirit so that he would walk in greater intelligence and in giftings. It's Exodus chapter 31 verses 1 through 5. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. Bezalel is the first one that we see that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that as a result of this, he walks in ability and intelligence with knowledge and all craftsmanship. See, the Holy Spirit brings power. The Holy Spirit brings uh, a new ability to walk in greater wisdom and greater insight and in greater artistic abilities. You see, the Holy Spirit is not limited to any way that sometimes we like to put him in this box and just think that he only applies to certain situations. The Holy Spirit is meant to be involved and intricately involved in every area of our lives. There's so much more to see about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but I want to quickly go to the New Testament and see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verses 25 through 26, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Chapter 16, I told you there's a lot of scripture here today, but it's really good for us to to really get a full understanding of this. Chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Let's just stop here for a moment. I just always think for me when I'm reading this, I put myself in the position of those listening. To the disciples of Jesus, and they hear him say, it's better for me to leave. Imagine what they're thinking at that moment. 
Like, no way, no how is it better for us that you leave, Jesus. Like, you are the one that we've given our lives to. You're the one that we've devoted our lives to. You're the one that we're following. You're the one that shows us what it is to walk in power, to give us authority. And he says, no, it's better that I leave. Imagine the gift that Jesus is leaving for him to say that it's better that I leave you so that I could give to you the Holy Spirit. He said, if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He said, it's better for you that I go because who I'm going to leave to you is going to be so impactful and so powerful in your life. He says more about this in verses 13 through 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you gift of the Holy Spirit. It's such an incredible thing that, that in a Pentecostal church, we know these verses. We, we understand that at least in concept who the Holy Spirit is. He leads us and guides us into all truth. But do we understand the magnitude of what it means to have the Spirit of God living inside of us? Acts chapter 1-8, we know this verse very well. On the day of Pentecost, uh, Jesus is saying this is what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. Once again, it's this word dunamis. Dunamis is the word for power and it's the word that describes the miracles of Jesus. When Luke is talking about the miracles of Jesus, he keeps talking about the dunamis power of God. That's the power to see miracles. And and then when we continue reading in Romans 8, verses 10 through 11, let's connect these these two passages here. He says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Who is the spirit that dwells in us? The Holy Spirit, the same power, the same dunamis that rose Jesus from the dead. The greatest act that has ever taken place in all of eternity That same power dwells where? In us as the believer. I think we should probably just just wait for just a moment and let that sink in. The dunamis miracle working power. The world cannot see it. The world does not know it. I was listening to an interview from a very... Well, it was Joe Rogan. I'll just tell you. I'm, I'm telling you not to listen to him because he says a lot of bad words, but has some really interesting conversations sometimes. And there was this guy that he's talking to, and he is a, a very intelligent man. I don't know what his, what his career was. And Joe Rogan, and I appreciate him for a lot of reasons, but he's asking these questions. But like, couldn't it be something else? 
Like, does it really have to be God that created the world? What if it was this? What if it was that? What if, and he keeps coming up with all of these answers, and, and maybe it was this thing. It, it's because that even in our best ability, without Jesus, we are always forced to go back to our own understanding and what we've seen and what we've experienced. But when we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, all that was hidden and all that was concealed becomes available to us through what Jesus has done. The world does not know outside of the Holy Spirit. So we, as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, now have the responsibility to operate in the Holy Spirit so that we can speak to the world and we can reveal to them who Jesus actually is. The same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, In him you also, in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, there's so much for us to unpack when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We couldn't possibly do it all today. There's so much to look at in the Old Testament on the day of Pentecost, but this is what I really want us to hear this morning. This is like the checkpoint in the message. Like, listen to this part, retain this. For the body of Christ the church, to walk in the fullness of what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be, there is no way that we could ever accomplish it without the Holy Spirit in operation inside of us. We could never, with the best programs and, and the best lighting and the best logos and graphics and, and community outreaches and all the things that we want to do, without the Holy Spirit, it amounts to very little because it is nothing without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who actually has the power to reach people, to change lives, and to transform them. We have to know the truth of who he is. But then we have to live our lives like he's actually in operation. Like he's actually moving in us. Like that's the reality that we actually live in. Our church has a value for pursuing the Spirit. To allow the Holy Spirit to move. Our leadership has that value. But it can't possibly stop with the leadership. In order for us as a congregation, as a church, as a gathering... To be the body of Christ, to operate in the fullness, it's going to take all of us. I'm glad that five of you are willing to jump on board to that. It, it's going to require all of us. Any gifting that is present in leadership is, is equal to the giftings that are present in what you carry, and we all need to walk in operation of it. There is nobody that gets to sit on the sidelines and kind of sit back and watch and be like, oh, I hope that goes well. We are all called to identify, to understand that we have been called, that we have been graced, that we have been gifted, that there is something that God himself has put on your life and somebody else really needs it. We say as a church that we are in pursuit. We're in pursuit of his people, his promise, and what was the third one? His power. I love you guys are listening. We are in pursuit of the power of God. 
We know that it is through his power, it's through his anointing, it's through his equipping that we are able to be who we've been called to be so that we can equip the saints for the work of ministry. There's a quote that I really like from an author named Sam Storms, and I'm, I'm reading a book of his, and I like what he says in regard to power. He says, if you make any attempt to live an ordinary daily existence or to make use of the many spiritual gifts that God has provided without this power animating and energizing your body, soul, spirit, will, and affections, you will know very little of the greatness and glory of God and all he is for us in Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do our best. We can do good things. We can have an impact on on the lives of those around us. But without the Holy Spirit, it's so limited. Without the Holy Spirit and his empowerment, it's always ultimately going to rely on us. And I've said this in many forms throughout the years. I do not want to be responsible for what God wants to do in me and in the church. I do have a responsibility, but it cannot come back to my ability. It cannot come back to what we bring to the table. It has to be through the Holy Spirit. We have to recognize this power. We have to recognize its place in the life of a believer. Quite simply stated, power is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Paul knew there was a lot of people saying a lot of things, but he said, when I show up, I'm going to see what kind of power they're walking in. Because you can talk a big game, but if you're not walking in it, if there is no result of, of what you say is operational inside of you, well, then that doesn't matter because the kingdom of God, it operates in power. We as the church have to recognize that we are part of the kingdom of God. Therefore, we are called to walk and operate in power. Now, this power absolutely is the power to pray and to believe for the dunamis power, for, for miracles, for blind eyes to be opened and the deaf ears to be opened, to see miracles at work in the church. But can I say that this power is not just limited to this idea that we have sometimes where we think the power of God is that we're going to walk down the street and cast demons out of everybody and, and we're going to be laying hands on people and there's going to be this dramatic conversion. Sometimes it might be exactly that. But that we need the power of God in every area of our life. Sometimes we need the power of God to wake up on Monday morning and to go to work. Especially when it's raining outside, which apparently it always does here. We're like in the Amazon rainforest. I don't know when that happened. Sometimes we need the power of God just to simply like continue in relationship when it's difficult. Sometimes we need the power of God simply just to, to take that next step that God is calling us to. And, and it may not seem like a big one, but we need to be reliant on his power. Sometimes I need the power of God just to not say something stupid to my wife and be sarcastic when I shouldn't be. Thank you, baby. Like the power is not just in what we think about when we're thinking about the dynamic power of God in, in operation. And, and I do believe we need to pursue those things. But first, why don't we recognize that the power is in operation every moment of every day? 
in every situation that we come into, in the good, the bad, the challenging, and and the, the overwhelming times to realize that the Holy Spirit wants to be present in all of it. Maybe sometimes the reason we have such a difficult time believing for the big things is because we never take the time to believe for the things that seem a little bit mundane and simple. Maybe sometimes we have a difficulty operating in in the the power of the Holy Spirit because when it came to that simple thing, we decided, I'm just going to figure that one out. I'll wait to go to God until it's something big. And we haven't built the muscle. We haven't built the belief system. We haven't built that, that tendency inside of us to say, when something needs to be addressed, I'm going to God immediately. And even before that point, that I am going to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to be in operational in every area. See, I do believe that the Holy Spirit wants to operate in ways that are greater than we could ever imagine, in ways that are going to really, really shake the foundation of the world around us. But this is what I want us to see here today. The, the focus should not be on how much power or how little power But the question should be, am I walking in the power that I have been graced for? The question should not be, am I operating on this high level of power to see the dead raised? Or or am I operating in this little amount of power and I feel condemned? The question should be, God, you said that you have graced me. That you have called me, that you have equipped me. What have you called me to do? I'm not going to look at everybody else and compare myself to their giftings, to what they're doing, to what they sound like, and to what they look like. I'm going to understand that you've gifted me, that you have graced me, graced, meaning that I couldn't do it on my own. What does that look like for me? Jesus, what have you called me to do? It's not about anybody else. It's about understanding who we have been called to be. Now, once again, if you have any question about whether or not this applies to you, first of all, the answer is yes. And second of all, go back and, and watch last week, for real. Like, like this absolutely is something for every single man and woman who believes in Jesus Christ. And, and I think just having that understanding that I've been called and equipped, like we could just sit here for a moment and, and feel really good about that. Because it's an amazing truth. But I think that when the warm and fuzzies wear off, We have to understand that there is now something we are called to do with this knowledge. That we are called and we are equipped, but we are also required to step into the obedience of what this means. You haven't just been graced to walk in your gifting, but there is something that we are called to do in response to it. Acts chapter 2 verses 17 through 18 it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. First Corinthians 12 verses four through seven says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He goes on to say in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. These gifts are what we are called 
as believers to walk in and to operate in. However, so often it seems that the body of Christ chooses to do life without them. So often it seems that the body of Christ is content to live a lesser version of our walk with God than to actually seek and see these gifts in operation. And I think there's some very simple reasons for why this is at times. And I would even venture to say that there are many of us in this room that would have felt these things at some point. Number one, sometimes we just don't know what is actually available to us. That we don't understand the fullness of what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's because we don't even know where to begin and how to discover them and how to walk in them. We don't even know what that looks like. Like it's great for me to stand up here and say, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if I never take the time to talk about what that means, if I I just say, okay, everyone, I want you to go home, be empowered in the Spirit, walk in the gifts of the Spirit, and show back up next week and show me what you got. We have to talk about these things. We have to, to read what the Scripture says, and then we actually have to take practical steps. This is kind of an aside here, but what we're going to be doing as a church in the weeks to follow is we're going to have some days where we get together outside of our Sunday or our Wednesday service. And we're going to have times where we're going to be teaching and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Where we are going to pursue prophecy, where we're going to understand what it means to be empowered. We're not just going to talk about it. We are going to walk in it. We are going to allow the Holy Spirit to be in operation in the lives of His church. I'm expecting everyone who claps to be there on the first day that we do that. There are times that we just feel like we're not spiritual enough. Who am I to say that I have a gift? Isn't this just for the fivefold ministers, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers? Isn't this just for the staff, the people who do ministry full time? Like sometimes we disqualify ourselves before we even get to the point of operating in the gifts. And then, and I mentioned this on Wednesday, sometimes. We've created a judgment against walking in the gifts of the Spirit because we've seen some people do it in a really weird way. There's probably nicer ways to say that, but I'm just going to be honest. Like sometimes we've seen things abused a little bit. They, they, they look a little bit, and I'm not saying that operating in the gifts of the Spirit always looks normal, okay? But we can tell sometimes where things are a little bit, ah, that's questionable. And, and we've seen some of that, and so instead of going deeper to find out what's really happening, sometimes we've just distanced ourselves from them because they don't, they don't make sense to us. There are a variety of reasons of why we don't pursue the gifts, but I just want to read here 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just hear what Paul says and instructs us to do. I do also want to encourage you, once again, I'm giving you homework. Take the time to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You're probably very familiar with 13, the love chapter. But read 12, 13, and 14 to see what Paul has to say. Verse 27 of chapter 12. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all teachers, prophets? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? 
said, no, there, there are unique giftings in the body of Christ. There are unique things that, that each one of us are called to operate in. Not, we're not all going to walk in every single one of them. So don't, don't compare yourself to others. Don't feel less than because your gift as part of the body is less than somebody else's. But he says this next verse, verse 31, and, and this is something that I think we could quickly read over. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says, and I will go on to show you still a more excellent way. He goes into 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about the gifts of, of the Spirit, but that they all have to be founded in love because without love, they're nothing. But let's not gloss over the fact that he issues a command here. Not a suggestion. Not a, oh, this would be a nice idea if you believe in Jesus. He calls us to earnestly desire the higher gifts earnestly pursue, earnestly go after the gifts of the Spirit. This sometimes is contrary to our belief as Christians because we feel like if this is supposed to happen, it's just going to happen. No, Paul says earnestly desire them, the higher gifts. What are the higher gifts? The gifts that build up the body. The gifts that edify others. The gifts that God puts on your life so that it can be brought to reality for somebody else pursue them, desire them. This, this is not something that we as a church can read lightly and just say, oh, well, I guess that's optional. If I'm really feeling extra spiritual one day, I'm going to try to walk in the spiritual gifts. I don't know that the body of Christ really recognizes this though. I, I, I'm not bashing any other church, believe me. I, I see some of these churches on YouTube sometimes and I'm like, I know they have their purpose and they reach people. But they're not always speaking about the reality of what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes we take this lesser responsibility, not realizing that when we enter into heaven at the end of this lifetime, Jesus is not going to ask about some of the things that we think are so important. He's going to ask, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? What did you do with what I gifted you? Did you pursue them? Did you desire them? Did you go after them? Or did you just think somebody else was going to do it? I know when we talk about these things, sometimes talking about the gifts of the Spirit, even just saying that phrase makes people feel uncomfortable. But this is a very, very biblical statement that Paul is making here because this is a gift from who? I don't think you're convinced about that. This is a gift from who? So if God has called us to walk in these things, guess what? We have a responsibility to pursue them. You see, desiring or not desiring the gifts, I should say, is not something that is selfless. But not desiring the gifts is something that is very selfish. Because the gifts are not for us. They're for those around us. So if we decide at any point that we're not going to walk or pursue them, well, guess who misses out? The body of Christ that is meant to be built up and equipped. We are commanded to desire the higher gifts because that is the only way that the body of Christ is able to become all that it was meant to become. See, Paul doesn't mess around here. He says the same thing three more times. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He says in verse 12, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And verse 39, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. 
Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church who is not exactly doing a lot of things well at that moment. He's correcting them in a lot of ways. So what does he tell them? We think sometimes in, in the dysfunction, he should be like, okay, guys, kind of just, you know, take it back a little bit. Like, don't try to do too much. What does he say to them? Earnestly desire that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire that you may hear the word of God, the voice of God, and to speak it and to proclaim it. Earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Because these are the very things that are going to build up the body so that you can be all that you've been called to be. Earnestly pursue and go after. But as we said, a lot of times the body of Christ has not only not desired the spiritual giftings, but they've relegated it to those who they deem to be the extremists, the extra special ones. And while we wouldn't consider ourselves to be cessationists, those who believe that the gifts of the Spirit don't operate anymore, sometimes if we are to look at the church as a whole, we would question whether or not that's actually true because we don't see them in operation to the extent that Paul is calling us to, to earnestly desire them and to pursue them. Sometimes this, it does make us feel uncomfortable, and yet the mandate from Paul is to walk in obedience to what Jesus called us to do. Matt Chandler said, to know the word is easier than to do the word. Sometimes that feels very, very true. We've been called to walk in what God's called us to do, and a lot of times the church has accepted not a gospel of power, but a one of convenience. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22 says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. 